I want to, I've got two things I've got to do within the time we have this morning. Firstly, I need to give you a ministry update. For those who may be new to the place, Glenda and I are part of the squad of missionaries out there that this church supports. And we really appreciate that, guys. You make possible what God has called us to do in the nations. And we're just so thrilled to be part of you and for you to be part of us. It very much is a, a team. Pastor Mark has given me my assignment this morning to launch the My Story series. So you're going to get to hear our story and Glenda's going to be sharing a bit of that as well. So, ministry is changing for us. If you haven't noticed in the years that we've been coming, we've all got a bit older. <laughs> and uh, of course, with getting older means not quite as much energy as there used to be. But one of the things I discover as I study the scripture is that when you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he had different seasons in his ministry. There was the, the time when he was newly converted, when he had stacks of energy, when he was out there as a missionary evangelist, church planter, walking thousands of kilometres. But then there came the middle years of his ministry when he spent a lot of time equipping leaders for the church, encouraging the church. And then there came that later season, which in Paul's case... Uh, put him in prison a lot of the time, when he was writing his letters, when he was leaving a legacy for those who were to follow. And of course, for us, we benefit from that legacy. Well, a little like Paul, forgive us for mentioning ourselves in the same sentence, but a little like that, we're in that later stages of our ministry. I hope that we are able to go on sowing into God's kingdom for many years to come. But there does come a time when you've sort of got to think about slowing down a little bit. So whereas in the past we would spend six to eight months a year overseas, three major trips, we're not doing that so much anymore. Glenda's not travelling as much. Uh, and so I tend to go and do things for three weeks at a time and uh, come home and, and be home for a while. And so some of the things that are happening as I journey out, it's interesting that the Lord has changed the focus from Africa, although we're still doing some there, more now into the Middle East, into countries like Egypt, Turkey, Greece, and still involved in Romania. So let me talk with you a little bit about what's happening. In Egypt each year, uh, Pastor Ben Gray, some of you will know Ben from the Australian Prayer Network, and his... Uh, um, what's it called, CHI Ministries, for the last 10 years they've been running a conference uh, out in the deserts in Egypt for the church. The church in Egypt faces very significant persecution, unofficially, or officially it doesn't, but uh, sorry, officially it doesn't, but unofficially it does. And so there's this incredible retreat centre into which they come, over a thousand of them behind 14-foot-high walls with barbed wire on the top and armed guards on the front, they can be absolutely free and they come to party. And they literally come from all 26 provinces of Egypt. And so I have a privilege of being part of that team and we'll be back out there in early September uh, with Pastor Ben and the rest of the team. Uh, it's called, it's at the Agape Centre. They're in fact building a new auditorium that will seat 5,000 people on this centre and it's an amazing place where Christians can come 
And so uh, those of you who get our prayer notes will get notification of that. And I really ask you to pray with us. In Turkey, we're working alongside Danny and Perla Hararian, who are part of the Romanian Pentecostal Mission. And uh, Danny and Perla are currently planting their fourth church in downtown Istanbul, working with uh, a Turkish couple who are, in fact, the lead pastors. And we've known Danny and Perla since we first met them back in Romania, um, back in... Uh, Oh, when was that? 2002, 2003. And so I have the privilege now of working in and going in beside them. I'll be back out with them again in September and working with Hakan and Luda, who are the Turkish couple. Don't ask me to pronounce the name of that church. It doesn't pronounce like it. it's written. Um, Turkish is an interesting language. But uh, it's great to be a part of that. And part of my role when I go into these places is to sit with these two couples, encourage them, sit with their leaders and encourage them. And they're actually hoping to get pastors from other churches who live in this quite oppressive environment to come together so that I can speak into their lives. Uh, yeah. Equipping and encouraging leaders, it's a great thing. And then in Greece, uh, I studied this building when I was a student studying architecture more than 50 years ago. So to get up there and to walk around it, the Parthenon, yeah, for those of you who don't know, up on the Acropolis. But uh, there in uh, Greece, there are a team of people working uh, with Hellenic ministries, reaching out to the Muslim background people who are coming in from as far away as Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, up into the Turkmenistan and other areas. And they all flow down through Turkey. No, they flow through Turkey and into Greece. And many of them are coming to Christ. They are seeing 15 to 20 Muslim people coming to Christ every week. Isn't that awesome? Many of them you meet have had personal encounters with Jesus. Many have just been overwhelmed. They come off these sinking rubber boats and they're met by someone handing them food and water and a bag of clothing, which now becomes all they've got. And guess who these people are? They're Christians. And so some of the, the workers from uh, up in Romania, some of the, the Romanian Pentecostal missionaries are involved there, particularly in training some of these uh, men, and there are some women too, but just not in this class. All of these are Muslim background believers. All of these, in fact, are from Afghanistan. And I had the privilege of being part of their training, and so I'm hoping that that opportunity will be there again early next year. And then in Romania, for those who've followed our ministry, we've had an involvement with the Romanian Pentecostal mission that goes back to 2002. We've spent many years teaching in their missionary training school. And now um, Pastor Gita Retishan, the president of the ministry, is using us in a slightly different way. There's a real thing of God happening in the Romanian Pentecostal churches, which are incredibly legalistic, more legalistic than you want to even hear about. But there's a new generation of younger pastors coming through who are not bound by the legalism of the past and it's beginning to break through. And so Gitsa is taking me into some of these regional churches and groups of churches to speak into the lives of people about intimacy with God and their walk with God. 
Uh, my book, Appointment with Jesus, which uh, was revised last year, has now been released in Romanian, the Romanian language. Uh, it's currently being translated into Egyptian. No, it's translated. It's about to be printed, and they're working on it in Turkey as well. And so the literature work is going out. So this is what uh, we continue to do. Glenda, of course, backs me up in every way she can. Uh, but it, it's just wonderful to have these opportunities. Some of the, uh, the, the material I did in Romania last time was recorded, and we actually did a TV interview that is broadcast on Romanian Christian TV across America. There are huge groups of Romanians, Romanian Christians in America, in other parts of Europe. And so a lot of this teaching went out and I've had feedback from other people of what God's been doing. So that's something of what we're doing in these days. Not travelling as much, but when I do travel, and Glenda's just been in North America as we visited and ministered in YWAM, in a YWAM base and some other places, but striking very much more to the heart of Christian leadership to bring encouragement, challenge, stimulation. And the real burden that God's put on our heart in these days is about the whole issue of intimacy with God and seeking the heart of God. And it's really finding a very telling mark in people's lives. So as you stand with us, that's what we're doing. And uh, what you contribute helps us to pay the airfares to get there and the on-ground expenses and just the other stuff of keeping a ministry rolling. So uh, thank you for being a part of all of that with us. When we're out there on the front line, you mightn't be there in the flesh, but you're sure there in the spirit. And we thank you for that. Thank you for praying. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to a very well-known passage of Scripture from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 is one of those chapters which is, oh, why me? God, how can you let all this stuff keep happening? And in verse 19, he writes, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That incredible passage. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you now as we come to this time of sharing your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, to give you thanks and to glorify your name. Lord, I pray that the words of this passage of Scripture and others will just ring in our hearts and ring in our minds. That, Lord, as we leave here today, this plank of our faith, this standing point of our life, the faithfulness of God, 
will stand with every one of us. And we ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Mark has given me the privilege of launching this series of messages on my story. And he shared with me that he wants a number of things to come out of this series. He wants you firstly to discover the power of your story. What God has done in your life, shared in a gentle way, can be a very powerful thing in another person's life. They may not relate to principles, but they can relate to you and to the way that God has led you. He hopes that through this series, as a church family, you'll get to know each other more and that there can be a deeper level of fellowship that grows because you understand more of each other. He wants to encourage you to look and see, perhaps in ways you haven't done before, the hand of God in your life, to reflect back and see what he's doing. And he's asked as part of that that Glenda and I share our story. Now, I'll be doing most of the sharing, but Glenda's got one aspect she's going to share with you in just a little while. Well, Glenda and I were just two completely normal, average young people in our churches. We're not the lead athletes, we're not the super academics, we're the people who got there by sheer dogged hard work. Miss and Mr. Fairly Average. We both came from Christian homes. Glenda grew up in the northern rivers of New South Wales in the town of Casino. I grew up in the city of Brisbane. Glenda's parents were very involved in the life of the church. My dad became a pastor the year I was born. So we were both uh, matured in that kind of environment. And although we lived many miles away from each other and didn't know each other existed, um, we both individually grew with a deep desire to serve God. Glenda, when she was 16, had this deep desire, having heard something from her pastor's wife, that one day she might get to be the wife of a pastor. If she'd known me at that stage, a good few years younger, she probably would have turned and run away, but anyway. Uh, but that was her heart. My heart was to be a pastor. And not just because my dad was a pastor, it was a call that had been on my life since I was just a little child. The other thing that was significant for both of us was in both families there was a significant missionary couple or person. For Glenda, it was her auntie and uncle who were pioneer missionaries in Borneo. For me, it was my dad's sister, Margaret Williams, who still today lives in India and has served there for more than 60 years. And these, the couple and the individual, both had significant impact on our lives. We both, as young people, although we didn't know each other, we were both praying, Lord, this is my vision to serve you. Do you have someone out there for me as a life partner who will share that same vision? And uh, it came about in due course in the pulpit of Cary Baptist Church in Belimba and Brisbane that we met. My dad had just become the pastor of Glenda's church. I was attending another church where there was a, a youth group and all the stuff we young people look for. But on this particular Sunday, he wasn't well and he said, son, would you come and lead the service? This was back in the days when the pastor had to do everything up front, okay? 
He said, would you come and lead the service? And it just so happened that Glenda, as the girls' brigade captain, resplendent in her white girls' brigade officer's uniform, was taking part in the service with the children's talk. And so I'm sitting up there behind this lovely young woman who's uh, talking to the children and, uh, well, it was a little while later or a couple of things had to flow, but, uh, well, 46 years in December we live, uh, we, since we were married. And uh, so it's been a wonderful journey that we have shared together. There was a person who was a very significant influence for both of us, and his name was Dr. Ted Gibson. And Dr. Gibson was the principal of the Baptist Theological College of Queensland. Glenda was there studying uh, to be what was in those days called a deaconess. We didn't have lady pastors in the Baptist churches in those days. No such thing available. But uh, Glenda was studying to be a deaconess and I came along uh, in due course when I was accepted for training for the ministry. And Dr. Gibson uh, was a very, very powerful man of God, a man whose inner heart relationship with God was something that you could see in every aspect of his life. And one of Doc Gibson's great themes was God's covenant faithfulness. He uh, often used the Hebrew word chesed. It sort of has to be sounded back there like you've got phlegm in your throat, okay? Chesed, which is the Hebrew word for God's covenant faithfulness. Our theme song began, was the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so we, we came through this environment of training with this whole thing of just looking to and experiencing the faithfulness of God. Now I want to pause in the story at this moment and just remind you of some scriptures that talk to us about the faithfulness of God. Let's get our focus in its right place on him, okay? If I turn you to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 and it says, therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant to those who love him to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is the faithful God. Psalm 33 verse 4, the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Got that? In all he does. Psalm 145 verse 13. The Lord is faithful to his promises and loving towards all he has made. There is not one promise that he has made that has failed. This is the God we serve. Psalm 146 and verse 6. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord remains faithful forever. One more. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Now, just let me track again. He is the faithful God, faithful in all he does, faithful to his promises, faithful forever 
the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And so, as we share our story, it is on that foundation of the faithfulness of God. And if there is an overarching verse, it could be that verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the one who called us has proved himself in our lives to be the faithful God. Well, with that foundation, let me step back to our story. Just got to get this thing sitting where it's supposed to sit. Okay, we were married on the 1st of December, uh, 1973. Couldn't get that one wrong, could I? (laughs) And one month later, on the 1st of January, 1974, we became pastors in our first church. That's a bit of an interesting uh, beginning to married life, isn't it? I don't know what happened to the soldier shall not serve on the front line for his first year of marriage, but anyway, we were in. And we spent three years uh, in the Brassel Baptist Church in the the back blocks of um, Ipswich, west of Brisbane. When we began, there were 17 of us, including Glenda and I, in membership, and it went on from there. Well... We had three lovely years there, but the the call to mission was very strong for both Glenda and me. And uh, we accepted a call at the end of our college time and after three years in that church to become missionaries with the Australian Baptist Missionary Society in Zambia, serving amongst the lumber people. I mean, this was out in the bush, in the villages, frontline Piff hat, oh no, we didn't have one of those, but um, you know, this was frontline missionary stuff. Sleeping in the villages, preaching the gospel, going into village conferences and uh, uh, preaching and teaching the word of God. And a lot of my work in particular, and Glenda's too, was teaching and training pastors in the Bible school. Zambia was a very interesting place. And I want Glenda to tell you one particular story that comes out of our journey in those days. If there's a red light there. Yeah. So we're young uh, missionaries. We have our first child. He's about 20 months and uh, living in this uh, remote place. And uh, we only had, um, on the mission station, we were allowed... Uh, one day off a month with the borrow of the mission car to go into town to buy groceries and things that we might need. Uh, There were very few shops and we used to have this big long list of um, things we needed and we'd be lucky to have bring six things back home. That was the season that we were in. So in those days, um, numbers of the missionaries used to receive food parcels from Australia. Uh, Christians and churches would pack up parcels and send them to different mission fields around the world. And during the first year that uh, we were in Zambia, we were living with other other people. We weren't in a home of our own. And so we moved quite a number of times. But uh, there came the time about 10 months into our first year where we had the opportunity to move into a home of our own on another mission station. 
And uh, as we used to do, we always called into the post office whenever we had the opportunity to go and collect mail to see what might have come from Australia. And uh, on this particular day, we decided we'd call into the Luancha post office. And uh, so we called in there and, and we're on our way to this uh, new place. No groceries in our car at all. And, uh, well, to an empty house. And we called into the post office and Gavin came out with 23 food parcel, food uh, parcel slips, uh, which indicated there were food parcels somewhere at the post office. So um, he went back in and we actually, on the very day that we're moving into our first house, um, took to that house 23 food parcels from Australia. Now, the miracle story is that the church who sent the parcels to us, we'd never had any contact at all. It was a church in Campbellwell, Vic Victoria. And the other amazing thing was that when they sent food parcels, it always took 10 months on the ship in those days to get there. So God knew the day we were moving into our home of our own and that I didn't have any food for the pantry, that we needed food parcels. And so we got to our home, we unpacked all these amazing 10 kilogram parcels, 10 kilograms per parcel, and we had enough food to fill our pantry plus share with some other missionaries as well. Now that was the first one of the first amazing miracles of God's provision that he knows, even way before what you need. Um, a couple of years later, we had moved then to another mission station and we used to have lots of people staying in our home. Uh, we were called the Mountaintop Motel, where we were. Um, we had just always seemed to have people living with us and staying with us. So I went through a lot of food. And I got to the point, you could never buy flour. I never saw flour for cooking in the shops in the whole four years we were there. And I got down to the last half cup of flour and I said to the Lord, Lord, I've only got half a cup of flour. Um, I need to do all of this baking and we've got all these people coming. And uh, Gavin happened to be in the town that day and every time you went to town, you always checked at the post office. Well you can imagine what happened. He came home with another 20-odd food parcels that day. And uh, so that's, that's... And we had enough for ourselves plus to share with others. But that's, that story goes many times of where, you know, the Lord knows. And when you're out there serving in the front line, no matter what you're doing, actually, he knows what you need. And so they're just two... Simple little stories that God reminded us again of his, how great is his faithfulness. Mm. And the lessons we learnt way back then have helped us to reach up to heaven and pull down even greater blessings and resources that we've needed over these last number of years as well. He's good, isn't he? On the very day... 230 kilograms of food by mail from Australia. 
Yeah, well, yeah, on the ships. Yeah, posted before we'd even left for Zambia. Amazing. Well, we spent four years in Zambia. We had a fabulous time there. Oh, there were plenty of ups and plenty of downs. But looking back, what we realise is that God was laying a foundation in our lives. Now, one of the things is this. When you're young, you've got no idea of God's big picture. Well, none of us know what's coming tomorrow, do we? And one of the dreams that uh, grew in my heart during those years, and I'm teaching in the Bible school, training men and women who are going to become pastors and leaders of the church. Now, you've got to get this. I'm only just out of theological college myself. I mean, every lecture I taught had to be prepared from nothing. And often then that night translated for notes in the vernacular language, so I was teaching in English and in lumber. And so uh, it, was, it was quite a job. And, but in those four years, God was laying a foundation. We did not know that go down the track another 20, 25 years, we would have a key ministry in Uganda. But God knew that. You see, I've learned something in God. You know, we often use the word maturity. We talk about maturity, but few of us really know what maturity is. When you look at maturity in the scripture, you find that it has a meaning something like being complete, lacking nothing, ready for your intended purpose. Ready for your intended purpose. Now, young people, this is a really tough one. You're not going to like me when I talk about this. How long did God take to get Moses ready for his intended purpose? Hmm? 80 years. He spent four years, uh, 40 years as a prince in Egypt. He spent 40 years getting ready, looking after Jethro's sheep. He was 80 years old when God called him for his ministry, which was roughly another 40 years. 80, God was quite prepared to invest 80 years in this man's life so that he could accomplish the purposes for which he ultimately intended him. And Moses is often called the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Well, what we have looked back, and as Glenda and I look back, what we see was those years in Zambia, oh, and it wasn't just that. We came home from Zambia fully intending to spend a year of furlough and then go back again. The only problem is a friend took me fishing and driving through the northern streets of Brisbane past a church that I knew a little about. As we drove past that church, God put his hand in my guts and went... And I knew at that moment God was calling us to that church. So it was a number of months of watching and waiting and waiting for God and not saying anything to anybody and just letting God work it out. And finally, by faith, resigning from the mission. And it was the very night that we'd written or that we'd written a letter of resignation in the day. And that night, the secretary of that church called and said, Gavin, we'd like you to come and talk to us about being our pastor. God. Well, we spent the next 21 years, six years ministering in that church in Queensland and seeing God do some great things. 
Then a call to come down to New South Wales. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere. The last place on earth. He said, go to Sydney. I said, Lord, I didn't mean that last. <laughs> Sydney to me was like, ugh. And guess where he put us when we first got here? Cabramatta. <laughs> In a little tiny Presbyterian manse cockroach infested and with the little congregation of old people meeting in the garage out the back. And that was where we ended But you know, through those years, five years, six years serving with Campaigners for Christ, back into pastoral ministry in a couple of churches in Sydney, but still the call to mission was strong. But God was doing stuff in our lives. He was teaching us that we could trust him no matter what. Let me tell you another story. I was with Campaigners for Christ. Campaigners uh, was one of those old-time parachurch ministries. Some of you older folk will know the name Alec Gilchrist. Anyone here know the name? Okay, Jenny does. Well, it dates us, Jenny. You know? Alex has been dead for 30 years now. But he was, he was the sort of guy who opened the door and led the Billy Graham Crusades here in, in New South Wales. That kind of organisation. And I'd been the director for about three years and we were starting to get things happening and it was going quite well. The one problem was our support all came from people who believed in the organisation and what we were doing. And we got to a stage, I went to the office one day and I said to my secretary, um, can you please tell me or give me a printout of where we are? I know it's the end of the month, I know the accounts are pretty slim, um, what have we got? And she handed me this very sorry tale of more bills than we could possibly pay, and that was before we even got to salaries. And I'm about to pick up the car, the, 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 the phone and call the chairman and say, uh, I think we might have to seriously consider closing the doors. And just as I reached out for the phone, this is not a mobile, we didn't have them back then, this is just an old you know, desk phone. It rang. And I picked it up and a guy said to me, oh, hi, Gavin, it's Len here. Now, this was a guy I'd met a few times. He said, what were you doing at 10 o'clock yesterday morning? I said, oh, Glenda and I were praying, I think. He said, I might have known. He said, I'm coming in. God's told me you've got problems and I've got to fix, sort them out. So within an hour, he was in my office and he started, okay, tell me. Now, I've, I, I'm the sort of guy who... I don't tell, I, you, you'll never say, I, I don't have faith by Facebook, okay? Many people today don't live by faith, they live by Facebook. And so they write and tell the world that they need this, that and the other to go here, there or whatever. You won't get me to tell you anything. I'll just ask you to do what God tells you to do. And so I've got members of my board saying, look, here's these people who've supported the ministry for the years, they're wealthy, ring them up, they'll help. I said, no way alive. If this ministry is alive, it's because God keeps it alive and if God's finished with us, then I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Anyway, this guy walked in and he started. He said, okay, what's the story? I want to know it. So I handed him the bit of paper that uh, my secretary had given me and he looked at it and said, huh, 5,000 bucks, is that all? Reached into his little man bag he was carrying, pulled out a wad of notes and said, that should cover that lot. And, and we're talking on and he said, that old car you're driving, Gav, what, what's that like? 
Well, cut a long story short, by the time he left my office an hour later, he'd covered all the bills, he'd ordered me a new car, I mean a brand new car. He guaranteed to underwrite any shortfall for at least the next four or five months. And I didn't need to call the chairman and pull the plug. And that taught me something. When you've got a need, tell God, don't tell the world. Because if God's in it, as one person said, what God wills, or when God wills, God pays the bills. And I learned that. I also learned that God wastes nothing. Through those years of pastoring and parachurch and back to pastoring, there were some glorious victories. There were some incredible disappointments. I went through an experience of burnout when I just wanted to walk away from everything. And God has used all of that in building our lives. Well, come forward to the year of, 20, uh, of 2002. 2002, I think, is the correct designation these days. And Glenda and I are pastoring a lovely church down in the back blocks of Sydney and Regent's Park where the Christian school movement began. And we had a lovely church family there. We'd had six very happy years there with the church family. Many of those dear folk are still friends. They still support our ministry. We'll be with them at the end of this month. And, and some of those folk, one of them still sits on our board, one of the elders. And, you know, they're just good mates, even 25 or 20-odd years later. And, but Glenda and I knew God was doing something. There was a restlessness in our spirit. We were still getting opportunities as the church released us to go from time to time in other places. There'd been a ministry to an unreached people group in India uh, was beginning and there were some other things happening. But Glenda and I knew it was time. It was time to get back to missions. And the elders of the church said, Gav, you don't need to go, you know. Go do what God's calling you to do. We'll keep the ship alive. I said, fellas, when I'm out there, my heart's out there. When I'm back here, my heart's out there. This church needs a pastor whose at least heart is here some of the time. Finally, they agreed with me and we called a young man I was mentoring to become the pastor of the church. And Glenda and I, in the end of 2002, stepped out in faith with the massive sum of $500 in our pocket to begin LTTN Ministries. Now, we didn't know what God was doing. A year before, in Turkey, we had gone to a Christian program expecting to nobody, know no one, understand nothing and get arrested when the Muslim police stormed the, the gathering. That was the agenda for the night waiting for the program to start, start and a guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, you don't speak Turkish, do you? We said, no. He said, neither do we. We're from Romania. And that was the encounter that opened up the ministry in Romania that still continues today. It, it's divine appointments is the sort of thing God does. In India... A discussion with a friend standing on the edge of a, a hill one afternoon and I said to this friend, my brother, if money were not the problem and you could give your life to doing anything you wanted, what would it be? I expected to say, oh, I'd like to go to America and take my family there. He said, I would give the rest of my life to reaching the Kodaku tribal people of central India for Christ. That ministry is 20 years old this year. And literally thousands of Kodaku people 
and Bill people and others have come to Christ through that ministry. And Prabhaka and I have been interacting this week because life is getting very difficult. In Romania, as I said, training a new generation of missionaries, but the big thing has been Uganda. And in Uganda, God took us there in 2003 for the first time and we just a whole lot of divine appointments and one thing led to another and out of those initial years has come the SALT school. And you've heard me talk about the SALT school, a training program for village-based pastors that now has more than 600 graduates across Uganda alone. Men and women who've been trained for ministry who had no other option not with a program that was written in downtown Sydney for, for Europeans, but with a training program that was designed around how Africans learn. And you can see some of the materials and some of you have heard me talk about that. These books that I've written, all of them translated in, I think they're all in about four languages in, in Uganda, but uh, Appointment with Jesus is in, I think, nine languages now around the world. Is this something that... A man can do, a man and a woman together. This is God. As God puts your life together. And what we began to see was that things we learned in those early years in Zambia about how Africans think, about things to do with langu language and culture and so much stuff, how God was preparing. I remember having an experience one day. We were in Burma teaching at the Brethren Pastors Training School. Now, that's a bit of a, a strange one on its own. Brethren don't usually have pastors and they don't usually have training schools for those pastors. But this is where we're teaching. And I, I forget what I was teaching about, something to do with ministry and life. And there was a, an older guy translating for me. And while I'm teaching, it was like in the spirit I stood back from my body and I'm listening to all this incredible wisdom coming out of the mouth of this guy there. And I'm sort of shaking my head and thinking, hey, this is darn good stuff. Where did he get all of this from? You know, he's just an ordinary turkey like everybody else. And God said to me, this is what I've been sowing into your life for the last 50 years. This is what I called you for. And standing in front of a sea of black faces or Asian faces or white faces in Romania or Turkey or wherever, speaking the word of life, that's when I'm alive. Because I know that this is the season for which I was brought to the kingdom and I could not even begin to think about doing this without the amazing support that Glenda has been to me through all the years. She has come to me with, to, with me to places that you wouldn't ask anybody to go and she's never complained. And we've gone and we've done it together and we're known as Gavin and Glenda. I really get embarrassed when people introduce just me because we are very much a team. And so, as I shared with you earlier today, the ministry's a little different. It's now speaking much more at that level of pastors and leaders, not so much. Yes, I'll be back in Uganda teaching in the Salt Schools in November, but while I'm there, I'll be meeting some Romanian missionaries who serve there and teaching in a, a leadership gathering for the glorious Church of Christ. Isn't that a great name for a church? 
in, in Kampala and at King of Kings and doing other things. But I come back to our theme, the faithfulness of God. You see, this is not about us. This is about him. Because the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And young people, I just say to you, without any shame, that if you will nail your colours to the mast of who Jesus is and what he's doing, he will guide you through. He is faithful. He will bring it to pass. He is faithful in his leading. He is faithful in his provision. He is faithful in empowering you. He is faithful in meeting your deepest inner needs. He is faithful in securing our future. Yep, I've still got a couple of me. Can I tell you one more story? I was in the country of Ukraine. Uh, the church I was ministering in at the time at Ride Baptist Church had taken an interest in some regional superintendents in the country of Ukraine. The, uh, the economy had totally collapsed. The churches were struggling to survive and there was no money to support these superintendent ministers. And so our church there had, we sort of said to them, look, it's going to co cost this much a month, you know, how many... Can we support one of these? And the church responded the next Sunday and we had instantly enough money promised to support three in an ongoing way. And so the next year I went to visit them. So I was up north in, um, I can't remember the name, of the, about 50 kilometres from Chernobyl anyway, uh, a couple of years after Chernobyl had gone up in smoke. And I was down in Zarakapatska, which is right down on the Hungarian border down in the southwest and in another place and I remember one night while I was there the sort of thing that was happening is that they would we'd get up in the morning get into one of these beaten up old larder cars and you've never lived till you've driven in a larder <laughs> held together by wire and all sorts of stuff and the roads were, at one place we, we saw this street sign that was just a big exclamation mark. I said, that is a perfect description. You are not going to believe this. Well, it was up in the morning, off to a church somewhere for a first service, followed by lunch, another service in the afternoon, followed by dinner, another service somewhere else in the evening. And this was going on day after day after day after day. And I was at, toward the end of a six weeks visit there, absolutely exhausted and, and I was sick and we're in this church and I'm sitting there all I wanted to do was fall on the floor and collapse and at that moment the pastor's introducing me as the speaker for the evening I said Lord I don't know how we're going to do this because sure ain't going to be my strength either you give me the ability to even stand up let alone do anything else or nothing's happening here and he gave me the energy to stand and he empowered me to preach. When I gave the invitation, people came to Christ. And I sat down in that seat and I don't remember anything of the... Well, I do remember a little bit of the journey back. I think it was about two hours back to the house we were staying in and just thinking, I don't know if I can live through this. Well, obviously I have. <laughs> Why? Because the one who calls you is faithful he will do it 
And that's our testimony. Whether it has been in leading, in provision, in empowering, in meeting our own deep inner needs, in securing our future. Whatever it is, God is faithful. What do the years ahead hold? Well, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be in what they call semi-retirement. Any, if anyone can actually define that for me at the moment. Um, <laughs> because in the kingdom of God, you know, there, you might retire from a profession, you don't retire from a calling. And although we are trying to take things a little bit more befits people of our age, there's still a great need out there. And what does the Lord have? How long is he going to continue to provide so we can go out? And as I say, mostly these days I go, at least once a year Glenda comes with me. Um, how much longer will the resources be available? Because where we go, they don't pay the airfares. Very occasionally there'll be a small honorarium. Very occasionally. We have to cover all our own expenses. Well, only God can do that. But I know this, that so long as he has a work for us to do, the one who calls us is faithful. He will do it. Friends, I don't know what is going on in your life right now. Maybe you find it difficult to relate to a story like ours. But the truth is this, the same God who called this enthusiastic young couple back there before we were a couple and who over the last 50 years has drawn us together and done things that are beyond our wildest dreams. The same God who I speak about is your God. The same Jesus who gave us salvation has given you salvation. The same Holy Spirit who called and empowered us in sometimes unbelievable situations is the same Holy Spirit who indwells you. And with God, nothing is impossible. And you say, but who am I? Well, Glenda and I say, but who are we? We are simply two people who have determined to be available in the hands of a mighty God who is faithful. So don't be afraid. If he's calling you to have a crack at something, give it a go! Hey? Because you can trust him. You can trust him with your life, no matter what. And you'll see that he is faithful. Amen? Lord Jesus, how thankful we are for who you are. Father God, how thankful we are for who you are. Ever-present Holy Spirit, how thankful we are for who you are in us and for the way that you equip us to do and you provide for us to do and you empower us to do everything that you've called us to do. And there are not amazing people, there is simply an amazing God. And that's our testimony today. So, Lord, you know what's happening in the lives of all of these, and I pray that you will wrap your arms around them, you will lift them and empower them for your glory and for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.